So it's April 19, 2015 in Alachua, Florida. And we're going to be telling a story of black magic, vengeance, trickery, and deceit. Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 66. So Krishna and Balaram had been away from Vrindavan for a long time, and the residents were really distressed at being so long away. So who went to go visit? Uddhava went to visit, and after Uddhava, Balaram went to visit. So Balaram was in Vrindavan. And Balaram in Vrindavan spent a few months there, right? And he was dancing with his own gopis and he was giving happiness to Nanda and Yasoda. And they almost felt like both Krishna and Balaram were there. Uh, but one gentleman thought, oh, this is a good opportunity. Balaram's gone. And so Pandraka, the king of Kurusha, sent a messenger to Dwarka, thinking Krishna would be easier to challenge without his older brother there. And he sent a message saying, uh, by the way, I am, I am God, I am Krishna. And imagine that actually in New Vrindavan in 1973, there was a motorcycle gang that came to New Vrindavan, uh, ostensibly looking for the daughter of one of the leaders who wasn't there. And uh, one of the people went on the altar and pushed over the deities and sat on the altar and said, I am God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was rather, uh, of course, it wasn't very funny there in Yuvardhana. But anyway, so what, Padraka sent this messenger to Dwarka and said, uh, I'm God. You're the pretender. I'm, I'm the real God. And as Sukadev Goswami said, this was like a child where his friends say to him, okay, you be the king and we'll play. And the child thinks, well, now I'm really the king. Now, of course, in one sense, this is a story of everyone. Because everyone in this world, more or less, thinks I'm the supreme controller. I'm the best. I'm the most powerful. I'm the most wonderful. Right? We have a strong me-centeredness, isn't it? Yes? I mean, each one of us here, we tend to be aware of me more than everybody else. You know, where I'm sitting, what I'm thinking, what I'm wearing, what I'm hoping they serve at the feast. Right? It tends to be, be very much like that. And we tend to think that the world revolves around us. You know, even the weather, that it all has to do with my plans. And, right? and we think that we're the controllers. So this is our Ahankara Vimutha I'm I'm the doer, I'm the controller, I'm the master of my fate, I'm the captain of my soul. So most of us are not so gross about this that we actually dress up like God. Of course, there are people like this today. There are people who claim to be God. There, there certainly are people like that. Uh, one time I was at a program in Europe. And I had been told in advance that a lot of people at that program worshipped a particular human being as if he was God. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't get into that at all during the class. And at the end of the class, somebody asked me, 
uh, how do you know if somebody is an incarnation of God? And I said, well, first of all, they're going to be extraordinarily beautiful. So there was, you know, pin drop silence. <laughs> I heard later, about a week later, that most of the people there gave up their allegiance to this false god uh, just from this. So God should be extraordinarily beautiful. And this Pondraka was not so, but he became flattered. Yes, I, it's sort of amazing that anybody could think that they're God, isn't it? I mean, can you look at the tree and go, bloom? You know, and somehow or other, we can't even look at our own body and go, toothache, stop. Have you ever tried that? Toothache, stop. Ah. All right, so uh, Sukadev Goswami says two times that Pandraka sent a messenger. He repeats it. And the Acharyas say this is because he was so amazed. Sukadev Goswami was so amazed that Pandraka could be so foolish as to really believe, you know, I am God, I am Vasudev, I am Krishna. So Krishna's in the royal assembly when this messenger comes, and the messenger asks for, in the name of Pandraka, asks for three things. Anybody know what those three things were that he asked for from Krishna? Yes. Yes, he wanted the Sudarshan Chakra. That's not a good thing to ask for from Krishna. Okay, of all the benedictions that you can ask from Krishna, I mean, better to ask for a nice house by the sea and a beautiful wife than to ask for the Sudarshan Chakra. So he says, I want the Sudarshan Chakra. And what are the other two things he asked for? Yes. What? He didn't ask for the cost of a Jew, but he did ask for all of the weapons and all of his paraphernalia, so that would probably include the cost of a Jew. So good guess, although he didn't ask for it directly. What else did he ask for? He said, please give me your what? Your name. Give me your name. Imagine somebody coming to you and saying, excuse me, can I have your name? How would that go over? It says, okay, give me your name. You give up, give up calling yourself Vasudev, give up calling yourself Krishna. Again, most of us are not this grossly envious of God. Most of us don't go to the deity and say, um, <clears throat> hey, give me your name. But it, it's interesting that we still have this kind of mentality. I know one devotee who said when he first had contact with Krishna consciousness, that he was reading Krishna book and reading how Krishna's in the Ras Lila with all the gopis and he's thinking, all of them? But I want some too. <laughs> right? Or, or one lady just recently was telling me that I, I was talking about how Krishna sits in the center of the cowherd boys. All the cowherd boys are, are around him. And uh, if you're going to do the chapter on the board, maybe you can go to the verses. That would be cool. Yeah, you could kind of scroll down. Just scroll down. No, 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 just scroll. Yeah, you don't need to do a search. Just close the search and just scroll down. There you go. Okay, keep scrolling. Okay. All right, we talked about that one. You can try to figure out which one I'm talking about. It'll be a nice puzzle for you. So, because I'm not going to tell you which one you have to figure it out. All right, so one devotee said, I was talking about how Krishna was sitting in the center of the cowherd boys. And Krishna's in the center. And each cowherd boy thought Krishna's only looking at me. And this lady said that when she heard me say that, she thought, why does Krishna get to be in the center? Why not me? Or I think it was you saying last night 
how there's this one one lady, whenever she goes to serve the deities or chant, she thinks, I don't really want to serve you, Krishna, I want to kick you. So, we, you know, we, we don't tend to be quite as overt as saying, Krishna, I want your name, but I'll tell you, if we really look within our heart in honesty, we will see that in there, there is this deep-seated envy. Why do you get to be God? Why not me? And this, this may be a little hard to say, but any time, any time that we get angry at how our life is turning out, everybody feel that way sometimes? You've kind of planned your life, and it didn't quite go the way you wanted, and sometimes it went really bad. Huh? And then do you ever say to Krishna, Krishna, this is how you should have planned my life. Why did you do it that you should have planned my life this way? This should have happened, that should have happened, or this shouldn't have happened, or that shouldn't have happened, yes? Could, could I ask, could, could we ask for this much honesty? Who's ever thought that way? Who's ever said that to God? Okay, what does that mean? That means I'm telling God I could be a better God than you. Isn't it? Look, well, what would you do? You know, why'd you have me marry this lady or this man? Or why did this happen to my kid? Or why did this happen to my mother? Or why did this happen to my car? Or why didn't I get that job? Or why did this happen? Why didn't you run things the way I wanted you to run them? I'm your good servant. Wait a minute. If I want you to run things, who's the servant? If I'm telling you how to run things, who's the servant? Am I the servant? If I'm the servant, am I telling my master how to run things? Right? Any of you have teenage kids, they get like that sometimes, don't they? Yeah, oh yeah. But I remember my oldest grandchild, he was six years old, and he said to my son, he said, Daddy, why did you get to be in charge? Why don't I get a day? <laughs> So, you know, it's a little incongruous. Krishna, I'm your servant, I'm your servant, I'm your servant, but why are you doing it the way this way? You should be doing it this way. And if you don't do it the way I want, then, you know, put me in charge of the universe, and I would better know how to run. So that's what we generally do, although it's subtle, huh? It's subtle. We're not going, give me your name. So he asked, give me your disc, give me your name, and one other thing. What was the third thing? No, not peacock feather. Strong. Hmm? Krishna's strong. Krishna's strong. But what else did, did Pondraka say to his messenger? So give me your name, give me your disc, and come to me for shelter. Surrender to me. So everybody was laughing, like you were all laughing. So everybody laughed, and they laughed and laughed and laughed. That's one of the rasas, is hasi ras, laughter and comedy. So everybody was just laughing and laughing and laughing. This foolish, foolish, foolish person. Now, my dear friends, when we see this envy in our heart, right, maybe if, if, if you're a serious practitioner of bhakti yoga, you will see this envy in your heart. And when you see this envy in your heart, uh, it will be a little traumatic at first, but after a while you should be able to laugh at it. Okay? You should be able to laugh at the envy in our heart just like we laugh at this messenger of Pandraka. <laughs> you foolish Jeeva, you want to be God? <laughs> like that. 
Okay, it's not supposed to be depressing. You can be depressed for a minute or two. Oh, I wanted to be God. How foolish I am. <laughs> How foolish I am. Should kind of go to there. But I like to tell the story of how Prabhupada says, once you read through the ninth can- nine cantos of the Bhagavatam, you should be a self-realized soul. So, Burajan Prabhu, one of the few people on the planet who've taught all the way through all 12 cantos of the Bhagavatam. So, soon after he finished the 12th canto, I was sitting with him in Vrindavan for Prasada, and I said, so Prabhu, you finished all 12 cantos, so have you become a self-realized soul? And he said, oh yes. <laughs> said, I realize that I am a fool. <laughs> so the Acharyas, of course, they interpret these demands of Pandraka uh, that instead of give up your false name, you will make me give up my false name. Instead of give up your chakra and your symbols, uh, take away my imitation symbols and liberate me. And instead of come to me for shelter, rather I will come to you for shelter. So Krishna tells the messenger, yeah, I'll give you my chakra by cutting off your head. (laughs) And he says, you won't be my shelter, you'll be the shelter for vultures and dogs. Those are the the entities that will take shelter of you. So the messenger went back to Pondraka. Now, in general, in those days, you weren't supposed to be a messenger of bad news. If you were a messenger of good news, you would get rewarded. And if you were a messenger of bad news, you might get punished. And if we think that's a little peculiar, imagine if we had systems like that today. What would happen to gossip? Just think about it. All right. So, Pondraka read this message very patiently. He didn't complain. But he immediately got ready for for war. And he was at that time not home. He was at the, his friend's house, the king of Kasi. He was in Kasi, which is a city dedicated to Lord Shiva. Uh, be careful what guests you have in your home. There's a story, there's also, this is a story about many things, but one of them is be careful who you have as a guest in your home. So if you have the wrong guest in your home, you may suffer too. Just like you know, if you harbor a criminal, right? That's also a crime if you harbor a criminal. So it was really a mistake for this king of Kasi to make friends with Pondraka and have him as a guest. And when Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was asked, what is the main symptom of a Vaishnava? What did he say? Give up non-devotee association. Asat Sangutiyaga. So the main way that you can tell the saintly person is they give up materialistic association. That the first step on the path of spiritual life is called anushraddha. Shraddha means faith, adu means beginning. This is like someone who says, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in God. Do you think there's ways to find him? Are there spiritual processes? Oh yeah, sure. Are you doing anything? No. So I think of that like a person on a materialistic path, and here's a spiritual path, and they say, yes, there's a spiritual path. Yes, there's a God and there's a spiritual path. Now that's a good thing. That's not a nothing. That's not a nothing. But Vishnu Chagavati Thakura Madhuri says there's no purification that happens at that level. Just, I, I, I have faith, I believe. Then the next step after Adhushraddha is... Sadhu Sangha. Now Sadhu Sangha, you're not really taking up the spiritual path yet, but you're changing your friends. 
You're changing your friends. Usually what this starts with is you just add friends. And then some of your friends subtract you. Huh? Right? You don't really subtract friends. They seem to subtract you. And, and this phenomenon is, is quite heavy for people. And many people, when they hit that place, they turn around and run. You know, all of a sudden, my, my mother doesn't want to see me anymore, or maybe my spouse, or my best friend, maybe my grown child, or whatever, says, you know, if you're going to be a religious person, I don't want anything to do with you. Or if you're going to, you know, change your religion, I don't want anything to do with you. And that, that's a big test for a lot of people. You know, there's different points of, of tests where people kind of, kind of back off. So that's one of them, where you change your association. And this is an important point. This doesn't mean that we can't have anything to do with the people of the world. We're not hermits living up in some mountain or something. There's hermitages like this in, in Europe. The monastery is on the top of a mountain. They have a hole in the floor, and they just put a bucket down through the floor. And someone at the bottom of the mountain puts stuff in it. You've heard of those sort of monasteries, and they have nothing to do with the outside world. So that's, that's not our, our process. That's not our movement. But our intimate associates should be spiritually minded persons. All right, now Krishna, of course, knew where Pondraka was. So he went and surrounded this city of Kasi. He surrounded the whole city, and Pondrika came out with two divisions, and the king of Kasi followed with three more. So all of a sudden, you have five divisions there. And then it says that Krishna sees Pondraka for the first time. Okay, why is that statement a little strange? Krishna sees Pandraka for the first time. Why is that an odd statement? Huh? Because Krishna sees everything. How can Krishna see something for the first time? How is that possible? But this is the difference between tattva and rasa. So tattva means truth. And rasa is flavor or, or enjoyment. So one of the rasas is wonder. Adhutaras, wonder. Wonder also has to do with surprise. And most of us like at least some surprises. There's psychological research that one of the things that kills a relationship is when there's no more surprises. You know, when you know the person so well that you know exactly what they're going to do, exactly what they're going to say, it's boring. Hmm? Did it ever occur to you that maybe God would get bored? Most views of God are kind of boring. Most views in the world of God are kind of boring. He's just sort of in these clouds, and he shows you this big TV screen of your life. That's all he does all day, you know? And then he says, okay, and the people, have you ever seen that Christian track? The people are like this big, right? God's this faceless guy wearing a suit, and he has this big screen of your life. And he says, okay, you, Evan, you, L, you. I don't know what he does when he goes home in the afternoon. You know, it's a, it's a kind of boring life. And, so, but Krishna's not boring. He's full of all rasas. He's Akila Rasamrita Murti. He's the form of all rasas. And one of them is wonder, is surprise. So Srila Prabhupada explains that Krishna's always expanding. And then his knowledge of himself expands. Then he expands. Then his knowledge of... So there's always more to know. There's always more to know about himself. It says his incarnation of Anantasesha. He's been glorifying the Lord for unlimited years with unlimited mouths. He never comes to the end. And Krishna gets surprised by his devotees also. 
And there's the Russo, as we know, with the Gopis, what's called Porvarag, where they see each other for the first time. Also, we have this in the Ramayana, Ram and Sita see each other for the first time. And what's even more interesting is that seeing for the first time is happening eternally. Isn't that amazing? So like Ram and Sita are eternally married, they're eternally having a wedding. Maybe the guys don't think that's interesting. But, and they're eternally seeing each other for the first time. That, whew, for the first time, you know, that, that excitement of seeing that person for the first time that you instantly fall in love with, that Ram is experiencing always. So why did Krishna want this pleasure of seemingly seeing Pondraka for the first time? Because it was really funny. It was really funny. A lot of comedy depends on surprise, isn't it? A lot of jokes depend on kind of lateral thinking and the element of surprise, or even physical slapstick comedy depends on this element of surprise. So Krishna wanted to enjoy comedy, just like all of his associates were enjoying in Dwarkika's comedy. So Krishna was also enjoying it. When he saw Pundarik for the first time, he was just laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. So this kind of funny scene on a battlefield, huh? You're on a battlefield, and you go to face your opponent, he's just cracking up. And, and there's, there's Pondraka. He's got a conch shell disc, sword, club, and an imitation sharnga bow. He had painted on a Srivatsa mark. He did have a costume of jewel. He had an imitation costume of jewel, so you were right about that. And a long garland of forest flowers. He had yellow silk clothes, makara earrings. Right? Makara earrings. And uh, this makara, Prabhupada usually translates as dolphin or shark. In this particular chapter of Krishna book, he translates it as swordfish. Um, makara is really not any of those. Makara is a unseen beast. We don't see makaras on this planet. Uh, if they're here, we haven't seen one. It's the Vedic sign for Capricorn. And it's a combination of different creatures. So this is, it's the carrier of Cupid. It's also the carrier of Ganga. And Krishna likes to wear these makara earrings. So Pandraka was wearing makara earrings. And he had a very fancy flag. He even had a picture of Garuda on his flag. Right? So fancy crown, Garuda on his flag. It wasn't, of course, it wasn't actually Garuda. So really, Garuda, Garuda really, really rides on Krishna's flag. Like Hanuman really rides on Arjuna's flag. But he just had a painting. So I, I assume most of you have had... Um, Shall we say the pleasure of seeing Indian movies of Krishna Leela? Yes? And you've seen the costumes, and as, as my Guruku kids used to call them, the special defects? Right? So many times they're full of bhakti and they're full of, of sweetness, but as far as technically, they tend not to be very good, yes? And so you can see, you can tell the gold crown is just aluminum foil, right? Very obvious. <laughs> you know, the arrows they shoot are just little cartoons or something like that. So it was just like that with Pondraka. He looked like somebody getting ready to be in one of these Indian movies. You know, I don't know, I haven't seen them for a long time. Maybe they're a lot better today, but when I used to see them like they are, they're better than so like 30 years ago when I used to watch these Ramayana Mahabharata, it was like, oh my god. So that was what Krishna was like. He's looking at them going, You've gotta be kidding. <laughs> Now, what's really interesting is that in the spiritual world, there is a Swarupa uh, liberation. There's a Swarupa Mukti where you get to have a form just like the Lord. 
And those forms look so much like the Lord that they can fool people. Like we have Gopal Kumar went to Vaikuntha and he sees the gatekeeper looking just like Vishnu. And he says, Jai, Narayana, Narayana. And the gatekeeper says, no, 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 I'm not Narayana, I'm not Vishnu, I'm just a servant, I'm just a servant. Right, and Gopal Kumar's like, okay. And he sees another resident of Vaikuntha come with four arms and everything. <gasps> My Lord, Narayana, all glories, all glories. No, 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 I'm not Vishnu, I'm just a servant. This kept going on over and over again. And finally, one of them took him aside and said, "Um, listen, let me tell you, this is how you can tell the Lord. He's the only one with the kastuba, jewel, the srivats, and so forth. But there's a kind of liberation. You see, Krishna has no envy. Krishna has no envy. He's willing to let other jivas have beauty and form equal to his. Just imagine. One of the other muktis, Sarasati mukti, you can have opulence is equal to that of the Lord. Krishna has no envy. He's willing to share everything with his jivas. Hmm? Now, you can ask, why could Pandrika do this at all? It's because what Shiva gave him a benediction, that he'd be able to imitate the Lord in this way. This is from Jiva Goswami, who quotes from the Uttarakhanda of the Padma Purana. So Krishna was laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. And then the soldiers on Pandraka and Kashiraj's side started attacking him. Okay? Let's see if you can remember anything on this list. With tridents, clubs, bludgeons, pikes, rishtis, which are kind of swords, barbed darts, lances, regular swords, axes, and arrows. Okay, who can remember one of those? Oh, but don't look. Don't look! Take them! Pass that! Okay, who can remember? Yes. Bludgeons, good. Tridents, who else? Somebody on this side. Fisties. I know that Krishna says of women, I am fine speech and memory, but you guys got to have some. Okay, Fisties, and what else? Darts, what else? Lances, okay. All right, you can show the verse again. All right, and then Krishna was tormenting all the soldiers like the fire at the end of the creation. Like the fire at the end of the creation. And then everything was just finished. Krishna's really good about this in war. He just, just finishes the whole thing. You know, we have a hard time with this in war, don't we? You know, America declares war and we're going to go, and we're going to be in and out in a week. And it goes on and on and on and on. And we say, oh, we got the bad guy. Oops, there's another one. We got, isn't it? Right? And we're one of the, one of the biggest, not the biggest military powers in the world. And we can't do that. We can't seem to figure out how to go in there and just wipe out the bad guys and come home. So, but Krishna's really good at that. So he just wipes them out. And it looked like Lord Shiva's playground. Like we have a playground here. Right? Lord Shiva's playground. We were talking a little bit the other day about Lord Shiva. Lord Shiva is this very, uh, Nagaraj was speaking about Lord Shiva, he's this very inscrutable personality because he's Vishnu but he's not Vishnu. And he's dealing with the material energies in charge of destruction. Ravinda Supaguru says that he feels that the Judeo-Christian idea of the devil must have come from Lord Shiva. The person who's responsible for devastation and destruction and, and pain and suffering in the world with his trident. Mm-hmm. 
uh, but actually he's a great devotee. Of course, there's a, there's a number of stories in the Bhagavatam 10th canto, particularly uh, and a few other places too, especially in the 10th canto, where it seems that Shiva and Krishna are adversaries. And in fact, uh, we're going to see that the city of Shiva gets attacked. So it looks like the battlefield, the playground of Lord Shiva, broken chariots, dismembered bodies, but all great saintly persons were very happy. They were very happy because saintly persons want to see that evil is destroyed. Saintly persons are not happy that it has to be destroyed in this sort of manner. Uh, saintly persons would rather that evil be destroyed uh, just through love. Like Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he's destroying evil just through Sankirtan and through love. So therefore the demigods, they're lining up to take birth on this planet and have some association with Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement where the demons are destroyed not through these you know, huge battles and rivers of blood and Shiva's playground, but where they're being destroyed through love. So now that Krishna has destroyed the army, and I see this as a way that Krishna gives the demons a chance. He destroys the army, and it's kind of a way of saying, okay, uh, you get it now? Do you get it now? This happened with Ravana, that his brothers, his sons were all killed, and still he doesn't surrender. And so Krishna usually tries to deal with us in a gentle way. Come on, come on, surrender, surrender, surrender. But if we refuse to really surrender in, in the heart, then Krishna may say, okay, let's have a war. I'm going to show you you're not the controller. Wham, bam, slam. You know, and, and then how do we respond? Do we respond by going, oh, you know, what a nasty God you are. You didn't control things the way I wanted you to. Or do we say, I guess I'm not the controller. I guess I'm not God. Oops. Maybe I'm just a servant. Now the problem is that in general, in general, when we're in this world, when Krishna deals with us like that and says, hey, you know, I really am God. First he says, I really am God. Please surrender out of love. Please. Surrender out of love. But especially if we're saying, I want to surrender, I want to surrender, I want to, but we're actually not surrendering. So he may push us a little bit. And as I said the other day, Krishna calls his cows how? How does he call his cows? With, with his japa beads, he calls them by name. And also with his flute. And also with his buffalo horn. And he has a stick and a rope. So if you don't want him to take out the stick and the rope, come with the flute. You know, so here you have Pondraka, wasn't really an ordinary person because he's always meditating on the Lord. He's always meditating on the Lord. I mean, when he got the message back from Krishna, my dear friends, he could have surrendered then, couldn't he? And the only thing that would have been damaged would have been his pride. But he didn't. So now Krishna's getting a little heavier with him and decimating his army. And even now, Krishna doesn't just kill him. He says, okay, you asked for my Sudarshan Chakra. I'm about to give it to you. You asked for my name, but I'm afraid it's going to go the other way. You have to give up my name. It's my name. Yeah, the original, you know, trademark litigation. And okay, if you win, I'll take shelter of you. But if I win, you're going to be the shelter of the dogs and the jackals. So then Krishna, with his arrows, he destroyed the chariot. And his Sudarshan disc cut off Pondraka's head. 
and also cut off the head of the king of Kashi. Now, as it cut off the head of the king of Kashi, it threw the head of the king of Kashi into the city. And the Acharyas explained that the king of Kashi had bragged that morning, not a good idea. He had bragged to his queens, and he had said, I'm going to go fight with Krishna today, and I'm going to cut off Krishna's head, and I'm going to throw Krishna's head into the city. Not very smart. So Krishna threw his, his head in the city, and then Krishna was done. He was done, he went back to Dwarka, and the heavenly siddhas, the perfect persons in the higher planets, they all praised him. And interestingly enough, again, how Krishna is always kind. Krishna is always kind. He's always kind. This Pandraka was always thinking of Krishna. Or Vishnu, really. He was always thinking of Vishnu with his four hands. This was his meditation. But he was an offender. He was also offensive. But by Krishna killing him, his offenses were stopped. And therefore, all that was left was his thinking of Krishna. Isn't that nice? You can say it wasn't a nice way to do it, but Pandraka didn't really leave him any other option. So in our own lives, we may be thinking of Krishna and also committing offenses. And Krishna has his wonderful ways of relieving us of the offenses so that all that's left is thinking of Krishna. And you know, we can take a lot of hope from this. If, if Putina entered into the spiritual world, Pandraka entered into the spiritual world, then certainly I can enter into the spiritual world. However, we should note that these persons were not just following some sort of ritualistic formula as a religion. What they were doing was thinking of Krishna. That Brahmana, who was following ritualistic religion and not thinking of Krishna, Narada Muni heard from the Lord, it's going to be millions of lifetimes before you go to Vaikuntha. So the purpose of our chanting at least 16 mounds, three Gayatris getting up early in the morning, offering our food, etc., etc., putting on tilak, all these things. The purpose of all of these is to always remember Krishna and never forget him. That's the purpose. Manmana Baba Madbhakta Majati Mandamaskar. That's the purpose. Maya Shakta Manaparta, to think of Krishna with attachment. And if a demon, an offensive demon, by being attached to thinking of Krishna, can go back to home, back to Godhead. Then what is what to speak of? Somebody who's really trying to think of Krishna with love. Meanwhile, back in Kashi, something came over the wall. There was something in the city. What was it? They weren't quite sure. I, I haven't personally seen a dismembered head. Thank you. I hope I never get to see one. But... You know, one can imagine that it was kind of bloody and dusty and it wasn't very obviously a head. So they first looked at it and said, what is this? Oh, it's a head. A head? Well, Kashiraj said this morning he was going to give us Krishna's head. It must be Krishna's head. Uh, no, it's not Krishna's head. It's Kashiraj's head. All right, now here we have a very common response of conditioned souls. Who started this fight, my dear friends? Who, start, who instigated this whole thing? Pondraka. Did Krishna instigate it? No. But Sudakshina, who's described as very charitable, the son of the king of Kasi, he decided that Krishna had murdered his father. Was his father murdered? No, he was killed on the battlefield where he came as an aggressor. He was not murdered. 
They decide Krishna murdered my father. We, we often shift our stories to favor our particular way of seeing the world. It's well known in modern psychology that there's a very big difference between what happens and our stories about what happened. Now we could talk, we could have a whole class or two or three or four on this topic. I, I found it very interesting, right, that in our Hare Krishna movement we say we have four defects, right? What are our four defects? Make mistakes. Imperfect senses. Subject to illusion and cheating. How we are even cheaters. Who's the main person we cheat? Ourselves. Alright, so well, the way we cheat ourselves is we tell a little story about the facts and we think the story about the facts is the facts. And what surprises me and amazes me and astonishes me, it even though we come to, and I'm really going to say we or I, let's just say, I'll just talk about myself, even though I've come to this Hare Krishna movement, that I still have a tendency to do this, to not distinguish between how I'm interpreting the facts and the facts. In fact, it's very easy not even to see that there is a difference. Well, that's just what happened. Of course, that's just what happened. Are you sure that that's what happened? Have you ever been, been in a situation where three people have a totally different story about what happened? Why do we take our own story about what happened to be truth? Interesting, huh? So Sudachina took his own story about what happened to be the truth. He made up this story that Krishna is my enemy, my father's enemy, that Krishna came for no good reason and just murdered my father. What a terrible person he is. That was his own made-up story. And he believed that it was true. Someday I'm going to teach a seminar called Practical Humility 101. So humility isn't just going around going, Oh, Guru, I'm so fun. I'm so useless. Now one, one item of practical humility is, I don't know that I know. What I think I know, I probably don't know. What I perceive by my senses is probably wrong. How I understand the perception of my senses is probably wrong. Maybe you're right. Maybe the people who disagree with me are right. Oh, what a concept. And I even cheat. Oh. So if we say, I'm a conditioned soul, if we, if we say that, I don't know if we believe it, but if we say that, if we're not experiencing unlimited, boundless, ever-increasing ecstasy at every moment, then guess what? We're a conditioned soul. And if we're a conditioned soul, then guess what? We cheat. So why do we take ourselves so seriously? And, and this guy is now going to embark on a suicidal mission. He's going to destroy his whole city because he believes that his interpretation and the facts are the same. He doesn't go to find out. He doesn't have any practical humility. So he wants revenge. This is often our, our response to something that goes wrong in our life. I want, to, I want to balance things through my effort to fix things and to hurt the people who hurt me. So being in Kashi, he worshipped Lord Shiva. And Lord Shiva actually appeared and said, what would you like? He said, well, I, I'd really like to kill Krishna and destroy all of Dwarka. So then Lord Shiva says, well, I'm going to give you this, this mantra. You follow this mantra from the Tantras and you worship the Dakshin Agni fire. 
And if you worship the doctrine Agni Fire, you'll be able to destroy anyone who's inimical to the Brahmanas. The way Srila Prabhupada puts it in Krishna book is anyone who's not a Brahmana. Alright. Now this is kind of cool. Why did Sudakshina think that Krishna was inimical to the Brahmanas? He thought, great, it'll work. I'll worship the doctrine Agni Fire and I'll be able to kill Krishna because he's inimical to the Brahmanas. Why did he think that? We say Govramana Devaya, right? Why? Why? Why did Sudakshina think? Anybody have any idea why he thought that Krishna was inimical to Brahmanas? Did Krishna put him in that illusion? Well, perhaps Matasmatirganapavanamcha. But there was a certain behavior that sometimes happened in Dwarka that caused Sudakshina to believe that Krishna was inimical to Brahmanas. So Krishna appears to be of what varna in Dwarka? Kshatriya. So normally he would worship the Brahmanas. That was part of his daily activities. Narada Muni came to see his palaces. Krishna worshipped him. But you know, sometimes the Brahmanas would worship Krishna. We have a lot of Brahmanas here. Any of you Brahmanas worship Krishna? So does Krishna say to you, nope, can't take your worship, I'm Kshatriya. So Sudakshina felt that because Krishna allowed the Brahmanas to worship him sometimes, that he was inimical to the Brahmanas and therefore could be killed. So he engaged these tantric priests and the fire took the shape of a naked man with beard and hair the color of melted copper. And there were cinders coming out of his eyes. He was as tall as a palm tree. He had fangs. He had a flaming trident. He was shaking the ground and burning the world. And he was accompanied by the Prometer ghosts. The Prometer ghosts are shape-changing mystical entities. So like us right now, to go to Dwarka. Let's all pretend that we're residents of Dwarka. Pretend right now you're not in Vrindavan anymore, not in Ramanwati. Let's go to Dwarka, alright? So you're in Dwarka, and you look out the window, and what do you see? This naked man with cinders coming out of his eyes, as, with legs as tall as palm trees, with a flaming trident, accompanied by shape-changing demoniac ghosts. How would you feel? Scared. And sometimes we think, you know, if I'm a devotee of Krishna, that means I'm going to have this life that's kind of, it's all going to be flowers and rainbows. But Krishna's preparing us to enter into his leelas, which are full of all the rasas. And one of the rasas is... Fear, horror, and fear. And this was actually a delicious kind of fear, this kind of fear. Why is it delicious? Because Krishna saves you. Krishna gets to be the hero. Do people enjoy fear in this world even? Sure they do. People spend their money to go see scary movies or ride on roller coasters and things like that. So the residents of Dwarka felt like animals in a forest fire. 
And Krishna's playing dice, or Prabhupada says he's playing chess, playing some kind of game. And Krishna's very nonchalant. Okay. There's this huge, tall demon with a flaming trident in front of the ghost and sinners coming out of his eyes. Oh, whatever. I'm going to go on with my game. And this is one of the characteristics of the hero. And he's just very nonchalant. And everybody runs in, right? Save us! Save us! Save us! And Krishna just laughed. He's like, my own men. My own people. Why are you disturbed? I'm here. That's okay. Do not fear. I shall protect you. Dude, this is, this is a recurring dialogue that Krishna has. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Whatever the great calamities of our lives. Of course, one time uh, someone wrote a letter to Srila Prabhupada. Srila Prabhupada, I have a very big problem. And he signed it, your insignificant servant. And Prabhupada was laughing and laughing. And he said to Srila just see. He said, how can an insignificant servant have a very big problem? <laughs> but anyway, with the very big problems of our lives, that Krishna's there going, do not fear. Do not fear. So of course he knew that this was Shiva's doing. And uh, Krishna just really wanted to finish his game. So he didn't even go deal with it. He just stayed there playing his, his game. And, and one of Krishna's associates standing right by him is... Sudarshan. Sudarshan, auspicious vision. And the eighth canto is described as like the sun, it's like Krishna's eye. Hey, go take care of this. So Sudarshan went, Sudarshan started blazing like a million suns, like at the time of universal devastation. This is interesting. It says that Sudarshan gave pain to the sky, the directions, and the earth. It was just pain spreading everywhere and the pain also attacked the demon and this demon who was like personified pain himself he was like a walking pain you ever had anybody like that in your life so he was like a walking pain so this Sudarshan just spread pain everywhere and even the demon felt countered by a pain greater than what he was putting out so he turned around and went back Whatever pains we have in our life, the Sudarshan is stronger. We may need to go through some things to take but this whole life is eight billions of a second in the universal time. So the demon turned around and he was programmed to kill. We have other instances like this in the Shastra, you know, an arrow that has to destroy something. Ram says this to Parasaram when he puts his arrow on the, on the bow of Vishnu. He says, this has to destroy something. What do you want it to destroy? So this Dakshinagni had to destroy something. So because he couldn't destroy Dwarka and Krishna, who did he destroy? Sudakshina and the priest. We were talking about this a little bit in terms of how we deal with obstacles. Where Prabhupada said, you foolish person, don't you know you can't really hurt anybody else? The only person you can hurt is yourself. There's universal law. If I can, vi could I violate universal law to hurt you in a way that you weren't destined to be hurt? Is that possible? Am I stronger than the law of karma? So if I hurt you, I must just be an agent of your karma. But by my taking that role as an agent of your karma, unless I'm actually Yamaraj and I'm deputed to do that, who am I really hurting? Myself. And when it boomerangs back, we cry, isn't it? 
I'm sure Sudakshina thought, why me? I was just trying to be a good son. I was just trying to serve my father. Why me? Why me? Now, a little heavy thing here is that not only does Sudakshina and his priests get killed, but the Sudarshan follows the demon and destroys Kasi. Just everything. The assembly houses, the residences, the marketplaces, the gateways, the watchtowers, the warehouses, everything. It's just destroyed. Be careful who your friends are. Be careful who your friends are. And this is also a message for leaders. That as leaders, when you make a mistake, it affects others. It doesn't just affect yourself. When you make a mistake, other people also have to go through this. Of course, again, everything is, is fair. So when there's a group of people who suffer at the same time, they have some kind of group karma. That Krishna is dealing with them efficiently. So now we have this nice verse. Ya enam shravayen marcha uttama sloka vikraman samahitova shunuyat sarva papai pramuchite. Any mortal who recounts this heroic pastime of Lord Uttama Slokas or who simply hears it attentively will become free from all sins. So all of our suffering in this world is due to our sins. And by entering into these pastimes in our, in our heart with our meditation, so these sins become removed. These sins become removed. And ultimately what becomes removed is the root of sin, the desire to enjoy separately and endlessly from Krishna. So I want to thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this story. And are we set up now? Can we see the video? Is it working? Do we have, is that a yes?